You're listening to the audio-only version of American RVer. To see the video podcast, go to AmericanRVer.com and click on the video link for the show on the homepage. Glad you can join us for American RVer. This show takes you to upstate New York as we travel to the locks on the New York Canal System. Peg narrates as we watch the process of traveling through the 24-mile-long Oswego Canal. But first, we head to the RV kitchen as Peggy creates a simply delicious and colorful Mexican dish, Fiesta Chicken. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to this edition of American RVer. I thought I'd share with you a nice recipe for when you're traveling. It could be something that you're making for yourself or you can make a double batch and bring it to a potluck. I found this recipe called Fiesta Chicken in a low-fat Mexican recipes cookbook. I know Mexican food and low-fat does not always go together, but I found this cookbook in Tubac, Arizona, which is just north of Nogales, so it's just north of the Mexican border. It's a great little book. It tells you how to make some salsa, both red and green. And like I said, it has this recipe for a Fiesta chicken. It does say that you should use chicken breasts because you know they're going to be lower fat. I personally like a chicken thigh. So I went ahead and bought chicken thighs at the store. And um, they came with bones in. So I had to take the skin off and the bones out. Word to the wise, just buy them boneless with the skins already off. It was just too much trouble. Well, the first thing you're going to do is season your chicken with um, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of cumin. You know, cumin is a good Mexican spice. It has that nice flavor that you see in a lot of Mexican recipes. And then I'm going to put on a little bit of pepper. And I really love these pepper mills where you grind it fresh. It's just so much more flavor. And a little bit of salt. The book doesn't call for salt, but I have a hard time cooking without salt. I've already preheated my electric pan. Now you can do this on your gas range in your RV. Um, because we're plugged in at a campsite, I decided to go ahead and use the electric pan. Doesn't throw off quite as much heat as the gas stove will. So I'm gonna just take my chicken breasts. That's, that's what you're using, in my case, chicken thighs. Turn them upside down in that pan. I'm gonna brown them on both sides. Get a nice sear on them. And of course, I'm gonna go ahead and season the other side. You wet my fingers a little bit here. So again, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of cumin. A little bit of salt. And of course, a little bit of pepper. So we're gonna go ahead and do that. And there we go. So let me uh, just remind you that we're going to brown one side. We're going to flip them over. We're going to brown the other side. And then we're going to add our other ingredients. Now that I've browned the chicken breast, it's not going to be completely done. And again, I'm using thighs. You'll probably use a chicken breast. It's not uh, completely done because we're going to cook this a little bit longer. And you want to keep as much moisture in there as you, as you can, so you're not going to complete the cooking cycle before you add the other ingredients. The next thing we're going to do, I flipped them over and I'm browning the other side, is I'm going to add some green chilies. 
and we're just going to pour those in. It's just a uh, four ounce can of green chilies. Oh yeah, it's starting to smell really good. I already liked it with the garlic and the cumin. This is even better. Then we're going to add black beans. Now what I did to these beans is, you know, they're a canned bean. They come in a liquid. I rinsed them good so I have really just the bean and not the liquid that goes with it. I'm adding those and that's a 15 ounce can of the black beans. Looking good. And then I'm going to add corn. Now Mexicans use corn a lot in their recipes and so this is no exception. I'm going to add a really again a 15 ounce can of corn. Looking good and you know when they say fiesta they're looking at colors. I've got the the chicken, I've got the black beans, I've got the yellow corn, and now I'm going to add about a cup of salsa. Now I went ahead and used medium salsa. If you like something a little bit spicier, go by all means use a spicier salsa. If you want to add some jalapenos to this to make it even more uh, flavorful, you're welcome to do that. Obviously every recipe in my opinion is just a suggestion. So I'm going to stir all of that in together and then I'm going to cover it and I'm going to cook this for about 15 minutes. And again, that then will finish the cooking of the chicken and all the flavors are going to meld together. So we'll go ahead and do that. On my electric pan, I have it set at about 350 and that's a good temperature for frying the, cricket, the chickens and the chicken breasts. So I'm going to go ahead and keep it at the 350, put the cover on for about 15 minutes. Okay, we let that simmer for 15 minutes and I actually did turn the temperature down from 350 down to 200 so it's more simmering rather than boiling. And look at the great colors in there from the black, the red, the yellow. Uh, there's some nice uh, sauce in there so this will be great served over maybe some rice. Um, if you choose to do a pasta or you could put use a tortilla with it. Cornbread, cornbread would be another excellent item to eat with the Fiesta chicken. So go to our website, AmericanRVer.com, and we'll have the recipe there. You can take a look at it, make it for yourself or for your friends or your family. And stay tuned for more of American RVer, where we take you to upstate New York and take a look at one part of the Erie Canal. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My Liberty Threads has been outfitting patriotic Americans with t-shirts and blouses to express themselves for years. My Liberty Threads is looking for a few good men and women to carry our American-made branded shirts and sell them at shows and events. We have seen tremendous growth and are expanding. If you are patriotic and have a desire to sell our products, contact us at scottmillerwithmlt at gmail.com or call 407-729-9821 for more information about becoming a My Liberty Threads retailer. Recently, Jim and I visited Oswego, New York with friends John and Rita. Oswego is located on the southeast side of Lake Ontario and is the endpoint of the Oswego Canal, which is actually one segment of the New York State Canal System. The New York State Canal System is made up of the Erie Canal, the Champlain Canal, the Oswego Canal, and the Cayuga Seneca Canal. Now the Erie Canal, built in the 1800s, is actually America's oldest continuously operating canal. It links together the Hudson River on the eastern side of New York with Lake Champlain in northeastern New York, Lake Ontario in north central New York, the Finger Lakes in the northern middle of the state, and the Niagara River on the western side of the state, 
which flows into Lake Erie. The Oswego Canal is 24 miles long and drops in elevation 118 feet. It starts at Oneida Lake, which is just north of Syracuse, and travels through the towns of Phoenix, Fulton, and Minetto, and ends at the port of Oswego, right on Lake Ontario. Lock number one is in Phoenix, and lock number eight is in Oswego. Believe it or not, the Oswego River actually travels north to empty into Lake Ontario. The Oswego branch of the Erie Canal was originally opened in 1828, but a new canal was developed using existing rivers, streams, and lakes beginning in 1917. These rivers and lakes were dredged to a depth of 14 feet to accommodate the newer, larger vessels. Not only do commercial boats use the canal system, but pleasure craft from canoes and kayaks to small and large power and fishing boats also travel the waterway. If you wanted to travel this segment of the canal system, it would take you about 4 hours and 15 minutes to go from Lock 1 at Phoenix to Lake Ontario at Oswego. Plus, it would take an additional 20 to 30 minutes to go through each of seven locks, so the total travel time would be in the neighborhood of five hours. Recreational passes to use the canal system are purchased through the state and range in price from $5 to $20. Of course, we went backwards and started our day at lock number eight in Oswego. We didn't see any boats come through that lock, but we did enjoy lunch along the water and a walk along the Oswego River Walk. It was fascinating to see how the canal was created just adjacent to the actual river. Boats would originally have had to portage around the waterfalls before the canal system was created. An interesting note is that there's no lock number four on the Oswego Canal. Of course, once it was discovered, it was easier just to skip it rather than to go back and renumber all the other locks. We also discovered that the Oswego River was once part of the Underground Railway. Local residents gave safe haven to multitudes of fugitives escaping slavery. They then usually headed across Lake Ontario to Canada, but many felt safe enough to stay in Oswego to start their new lives. In the harbor on the north side of the river is historic Fort Ontario, a break wall and a beautiful lighthouse. The day we visited was a beautiful day for sailing. Our next stop along the canal was at lock number three in Fulton. The lock operator, Mitch, had to first raise the water level in the lock to the level of the canal on the east side so a cabin cruiser and a beautiful wooden boat could enter. They used boat hooks to keep the boat stabilized near the side of the lock. Ropes aren't used as they could get caught and cause a boat to tip over. Bumpers along the side of the boat keep it away from the lock wall. These boats are on their way to Lake Ontario, and since the water level drops as you go towards the lake, this lock lowers the level 27 feet, the most of any of the locks in the Oswego Canal. You can see the boats go down with the water level. Once equilibrium is reached between the lock and the canal, the locks are opened and the boats can be on their way. In Phoenix at lock number one, Steve, the lock tender, had to lower the water level in the lock to accommodate the boats that were coming from lock number six, which is at a lower level. 
The water coming out of the lock is very turbulent, so boaters must keep a safe distance away. This lock raises or lowers 10.2 feet. There's good communication from one lock to the next, so the lock tender knows what traffic is coming and from which direction. Boaters also call the lock tenders to let them know when they will be there. At this first lock, there's a drawbridge they must also go under. If a boat is 12 feet tall, the bridge must be raised for them. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see this part of the operation, but it operates on a fulcrum and raises from one side only. Again, once the boats are in the lock, they must hook onto a bar on the side of the lock wall so the boat stays near the edge as the water fills the lock. We were really just amazed at the operation. Steve told us about cruise ships that also come through the canal. We have um, a couple of them they call the Grand Mariner and the other ones are cruise for retired people. And they, from what I understand, it starts in New Jersey, New mm -hmm. York City area, and they take them up out on the Great Lakes. They're gone for like two weeks at a time and they come back and go through the whole canal system. Once the water level in the lock reached the higher level of the canal and again was at an equilibrium, the lock doors opened and the boats motored on. This was such a beautiful day. We truly enjoyed our time with John and Rita and were fascinated by a system created at the end of the 19th century that still works to this day. So if you have a chance to visit upstate New York, we highly recommend a visit to the Oswego Canal.